This is Erica in Edmonton. Shannon in Durham. And Chip in Durham. Welcome to the Audio Guide to Babylon 5, Episode 83, Intersections in Real Time. Thank you so much for joining us for this very special episode of Babylon 5. <laughs> I'm too depressed this, to go on. Ugh, this was this was quite a bold departure from the usual format of, of our beloved show here. Were you guys as gobsmacked by this as our control group was? <laughs> oh, hey. Yay, I've teaser. Sort of, I've been sort of um, waiting for this. Yeah. <laughs> um, I certainly remember just how much of an impact it made the first time I watched it. Um, just incredibly tense, incredibly, you know, terrified. Um, and then, you know, at the end when they reset and it starts all over again, um, just kind of gobsmacked. Um, I don't remember how many times I've watched it since then. I don't think it's a great many. Um, but I was kind of surprised this time around that, you know, knowing the story and knowing the twists, um, I was able to focus a lot more on, um, the torturer's methods and Sheridan's ability to deflect or withstand or hold his line. Um, so I, I did. I was not as floored this time around. I appreciated it a great deal more, I think, in some ways. Mm-hmm. It's uh, when I first saw it, and because I was a nerd following the Lurker's Guide at the time and all this other stuff, um, I knew what was coming, and I knew that there were an awful lot of people comparing it to... There are four lights! <laughs> which happened mm-hmm. like four and a half years before. So, you know, there was a lot of... stuff, And I thought that this was better mm-hmm. than, th- mm-hmm. than that one, which is not to say that the that episode, Chain of Command, was a bad one. Uh, Patrick Stewart, I mean, come on. Patrick mm-hmm. Patrick Stewart versus David Warner. I mean, come on. Um, I love Bruce Boxleitner. He's not quite Patrick Stewart. And the <laughs> no. other guy is definitely not David Warner, although that is absolutely the point. Mm-hmm. But yeah. this episode is so subversive. It's mm-hmm. got a lot more to say about not so much, you know, breaking and mind control and, um, you know, the challenge of overcoming um, overcoming resistance. But yeah, it's more about why the government, why, why Clark's regime is doing it. It is, their, but their purposes. It, it is. But I was going more towards sort of the more metaphysical stuff about manipulating reality. Um, mm-hmm. It all comes down to me to to when the interrogator walks in and says good morning mm-hmm. and then the light mm-hmm. comes on you know just emphasizing how Sheridan's how precarious Sheridan's position is his reality is being molded for him and unlike that episode of Star Trek Sheridan ends exactly where he began in this episode mm-hmm. there is no as they say in this episode there is no last minute rescue Oh, this is this is such an interesting one. So I suppose we should uh, we should dive in and, and do our little quick catch up. Uh, so three years ago, Earth Force Captain John Sheridan took command of Babylon 5, a space station in neutral territory. Two years ago, he fell in love with Mimbari Ambassador Dlen. A year and a half ago, he and Babylon 5 broke away from Earth because Earth President Clark had assassinated his, his predecessor and was becoming an autocratic monster. 
one year ago. Sheridan went to the planet of the ancient shadows and died, but he came back and booted the shadows and the also ancient Vorlons the hell out of our galaxy. Somewhat recently, he began taking direct military action towards Earth Force in response to President Clark's government targeting civilian ships. Very recently, former B-5 security chief Michael Garibaldi, who was being somewhat mind-controlled by Psycop Bester, betrayed Sheridan and turned him over to Clark's forces, who promptly beat the stuffing out of him. And that brings us to intersections in real time, in which, now, John Sheridan is tortured. And really, that's all. But there's no more plot? There's, there is no more plot. This is, we, we have absolutely cast off the sort of first season A plot, B plot more than, than ever before, because this is it. However, uh, however, to uh, sort of lean into Shannon's argument over uh, the exercise of vital powers a couple of episodes ago, this is very season one in terms of it being about people talking to each other. That's true. This yeah, is but a very it's, conversational episode. It's just, it's a room though. There's no corridors. Like we have nobody walking <laughs> through corridors and speaking to each other. So, and, and, and the subject matter is, is a bit more intense. <laughs> just a bit. Just, just a, a wee bit. bit. <laughs> mm-hmm. Dark episode. Dark episode. It really, really is. And, and yeah, yeah as far as, as my reaction to it, I think the first, I, I don't think anything will ever quite compare to the first time I saw it because it really just does pack such a punch when, when you are not expecting it because everything that we have seen from this show up to this point has really been, you know, it's, it's taken chances in some ways, but it has always sort of been space opera. And this is... This is, you know, it's part of the space opera, but it is all one thing. It is all one set. There's only, I mean, two main actors and, you know, a couple of people who say a very, very few lines. And that's it. I mean, it could practically be a stage play. It is such a different thing. Yeah, it literally could be put on as a stage play. play. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it could. Yeah, I actually, um, I think... One of the times that uh, we were doing a rewatch, I was doing some graduate work studying drama, and I can name, um, I can't name the title of it at the moment, but a play by um, the Spanish playwright Antonio Boravallejo that is the exact same kind of thing, of um, a person whose reality is being manipulated for the purposes of breaking something about him that uh, a bigger power needs. He was writing under uh, the Franco regime in Spain. Uh, and trying to, um, by setting it in this, like, utopia, parallel it to criticize the government. When this episode is over, the Babylon 5 plot has not advanced one iota. Mm-mm. Not not a bit. Um, but we feel like we know a whole lot more about Clark's desperation, I would say. It, it's it's like a character piece. I mean, no, there's no advancement in the plot, but there's a heck of a lot of character exploration going on. There is. Um, it's, but we've we've had some of this before. We've had the um, we've had the news footage of, as we said last time, we've had the news footage of subversives that have been caught and jailed and presumably tortured reading forced confessions on screen Mm -hmm. and things like that um we've had all the way from the beginning of the clark administration we've had 
increasing, increasing hints that this is Orwellian, um, all the way up to the Night Watch and to businesses being shut down and all of this stuff. Now it all comes home, and it lands like a ton of bricks on top of the hero of the story. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it does feel sort of extra Orwellian. I mean, you even have, you know, take him to room 17, which mm-hmm. I think in 1984, it was room 101, where something mysterious happens. And it's it's awful. But for quite a long time, the character main character doesn't know what that is, what that means. And and here, same kind of thing. It's it's room 17. Sheridan doesn't know what happens there. He suspects it's something really bad. He hears a scream. And then when he gets there at the very end, he finds out, oh, wow, it is something really awful. It's, But it's just the same thing. Round two. Going through. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or as Steven said, second verse, same as the first. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> it's awful. It's heartbreaking. We don't <laughs> know at this point whether or not Sheridan's going to get out of it. Uh, the episode mm-hmm. does not give us any kind of hope. And that, for me, is... If you look at JMS's comments at the time on the Lurker's Guide, and I presume since, you know, he says that the story is all about how important it is, as Sheridan says, both to the interrogator and to the Drazi, you know, as long as you say no one more time than the other guy, as long as you find that resistance inside you, um, you know, you can still win. But the episode ends with it starting all over again. He has accomplished nothing, it seems mm-hmm. like. And that is very bleak. It's uh, the, um, I can't remember if I've talked on this podcast before about the Stockdale Paradox. Uh, the, the, admiral, the, the, the former admiral who wound up being uh, H. Ross Perot's uh, running mate um, in one of the weirdest presidential elections that we had since the last one. Um, he was a Vietnam War prisoner of war. He survived when a lot of the other people in his POW camp didn't. And when he was asked why, his uh, response was, you know, it was the people who had hope, the people who clung to hope that maybe we'll get out by Christmas, you know, maybe something mm-hmm. will happen, you know, that didn't make it. It was the ones who faced the reality of the situation that they were in and steeled themselves to a, 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 to accept it. They were the ones who survived. Well, Sheridan doesn't leave this episode with any illusions. It's, it's, it's ripe for despair. Uh, we don't know at the end of this episode whether or not he is feeling despair, but he knows that just because you say, I can resist, and I can, doesn't mean that that's actually going to happen. And that's, you know that this this is a chilling episode because of it. Mm-hmm. And it is. I mean, we've seen plenty of television shows with torture scenes. You know, like physical torture scenes, including this one. You know, they mention how Sheridan has been interrogated before. We had um, with the one uh, laugh out loud line of the whole episode. Yeah, I'm trying to figure out how they found that out. No, they didn't. Yeah, um, they, I, they, 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 I feel like they're mentioning something else. that um, Whether it's like Sheridan's gone through practices as a soldier in training or what. But that's what I thought they were referring to. I, I have... Sheridan's I think I referring ha- to Sebastian. Yeah, I have a reference, but that has to go into spoiler space. Ah. Mm. Uh, but yeah, the, the, when he says uh, you've been you've been interrogated before, haven't you? And uh, Sheridan says you'd be surprised. You know that's mm-hmm. that's that's 
that is his one moment to um to have a secret that the the secret smile at his interrogator's expense. Mm-hmm. So we've seen the physical torture and, you know, it was sort of mental and emotional, emotional torture during that interrogation as well, but of a very different sort. Here we get, you know, the explanation of how Clark needs him completely, completely broken. So they're going to break his body first and tricking him into eating the sandwich is just, I mean, that's, that's. Mm-hmm. First of all, okay, I do have one little problem with that, and that is the the idea that this interrogator has, you know, had enough poison bit by bit by bit. Oh, he, he was just saying that. If I you mean, had noticed, the, the sandwich was cut in half. Yes, and the that's why I was, was saying cut in like half in the beginning. So why, you know, why not? According solved. according to the lurker's guide, though, that wasn't the. Um, well, maybe I don't know exactly what the intention was, but there is historical precedent for being able to yeah, make yourself... Yeah. Uh, yeah, building up resistance to something, yes. Yeah, make yourself immune. But yeah, it was just like, why why, why would he why would he do that? Like, there's, the sandwich is cut in half. You could easily lace just half of it. But, you know, tricking him into eating that so that he... That, to me, I think the most chilling line of the episode was just before William leaves and says, I'll be back when they have a chance to clean the place up. Mm-hmm. I was just... Oh, my stomach dropped because... So did Sheridan's. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, too soon. Too soon. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's just, you know, and that was one of the things that struck me this time around watching the episode was that they were basically... The, the torture methods or, or the subjects or the methods kept jumping from one thing to another in a let's throw it all at the wall and see if something sticks method. And that to me spoke of Clark and his regime needing this to happen fast. You know, instead of taking the time to work slowly and find something that genuinely might work, at least with this round, you know, this guy <laughs> was was trying it all and not sticking with any one method to, long enough to see if it took um, and that leaked out at me. Well, for me, that's sort of part of what they're trying to do in this episode. And JMS, JMS was a big uh, anti-torture uh, advocate type. Uh, you know, he was he was politically active on this sort of thing. This torturer is trying to undermine Sheridan's sense of reality, um, right? Uh, and right. And constantly keeping him disoriented, and part of that, I think, part of that strategy is um, impl- implementing different things. Because if you stick to the one thing, your subject possibly gets used to it and possibly resists it. But he he attacks the very notion of truth uh, with Sheridan throughout this episode. Um, he um, he undermines he he. And anytime Sheridan says anything that is remotely internally inconsistent, such as, you know, of course, I've never been influenced by anybody, which mm-hmm. is the, you know, the interrogator is right. You know, that is <laughs> logically impossible. And that is a wedge that the interrogator uses to uh, try to just tr- to try to just get Sheridan to doubt himself. He's working on Sheridan's. It's it's simultaneously brainwashing and that full on attempt to overpower Sheridan in the same way that Sebastian did back in the day. Sebastian, mm-hmm. of course, 
being played by Wayne Alexander, who also played Lorian and who also played the Drazi in this episode. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Even Stephen caught that. He uh, he chuckled. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But you're right about how um, the the need to um, distort or reshape reality. This this is a JMS thing. Uh, this leaped out at me. Um, not being specific enough to spoil anything, but uh, of what we've watched so far of Sense Eight season two. The such tactics come into play of of trying to disguise what's going on, distort time, distort location, to keep the person completely off balance and unsure. Mm-hmm. And I think the uh, the the very set itself and the simplicity of it, and mm-hmm. and you know the completely black room, which is a great thing from a budget standpoint, uh, also really works to to the advantage of the torturer and the interrogator in this case too, because it is hard to sort of feel like you have a sense of place. I mean, he doesn't even have really like, you know, a stone cell or or the kind of thing that you might picture if you're picturing a dungeon or a prison or something. It is just, it is featureless and it is black. And the only furniture that is there is this, you know, one table and one chair. So there's not even anything that he can sort of focus on to to grasp anything except for the, the what he thinks is the daylight coming in which you mentioned earlier chip mm-hmm. the you know the door opens and i was actually impressed by Sheridan's, you know, the amount of wherewithal he had to, to even the notice the, yeah. the, yeah, the difference the second time he comes in and says, it's not morning. I saw daylight the last time and, and now it's not there. Uh, I didn't catch that. I didn't catch that at all. And which I guess is part of, you know, he has so little to, to grasp onto. Of course, he's going to notice that little thing, which is probably completely by design. That's why they put it there in the first place. And I love the directorial touch or maybe it was a writing touch, I'm not sure, um, that, you know, after he has, has used this sort of remote to turn the light on and off to, to demonstrate the power he has over reality, every other time that William comes in and says, good morning, it's dark behind him until mm-hmm. after he says good morning, and then the light comes on mm-hmm. as just an, a little, like, middle finger F you to, to Sheridan. Right. Like, see, I'm in charge. Yeah. And... There's nothing Sheridan can do. There is nothing he can do except resist as long as he can. And we are left wondering how long he can hold out. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, the there are two gut punches in here. First is the sandwich. The second is the drowsy. Yes. The, that, that I remember seeing. I remember that the first time the drowsy takes off the executioner's hood and then this sadistic little bow to Sheridan. Yeah. And that's, you know. Yes. Ugh. It takes away his victory. It just absolutely yeah. nerfs it. And, you know, he, he really is back to square one. Although it's it's almost like he's he's worse than back to square one because yeah. he thought he yeah. had something. And it turns out not only was it not something, it was somebody <laughs> like actively trying to fool him. Mm-hmm. Ouch. Every time Sheridan wins something, he he promptly loses it. Um, he's, he's smug about the sandwich, pops the last bite in his mouth, and then, boom, he convinces the Drazi to resist, um, and then immediately the Drazi appears to be executed, because, Mm -hmm. you know, 
and Sheridan's and Sheridan's own argument is just thrown back in his face when he tells the Drazi, "If when you give them what they what they want, then you're expendable." And mm-hmm. as the Drazi is carted out, the interrogator says, "Yeah, we're all expendable here," mm-hmm. you know, and and Sheridan despairs just a little more. Yep, yeah. So I I I didn't get the impression that they were trying to do things particularly quickly because my my thought was that that they are actually taking their time because they are going to go through this and just do it over and over and over again yeah Possibly at the end exactly yeah at the, the end same. that made it's mm-hmm. made abundantly clear just you know first time around my my impression this time around was that that somewhere along the line clark really needs this to happen but but it's mm-hmm. apparently more important that they get as they said the live um broadcast of sheridan reading and signing this confession to the world because as he points out you know video can be faked and you know this day and age 20 years later 25 years later well yeah photoshop and everything are all things it's way too easy to manipulate media these days yeah and it's also interesting too that they need his mind truly broken because you know this show takes place in a world that has telepaths and if anybody were to to scan him reading a confession that they had beaten out of him Mm -hmm. it, it would be very clear that that wasn't the case they they need him to truly believe it, which I mean, in, on its own is kind of an extra scary thing, because even if he decided to stop resisting and say, sure, I will sign your confession, it's it's still not going to truly be heartfelt until they've broken his mind. Mm-hmm. So that's that's just sort of another level of hopelessness when he sort of yeah. recognizes that, because it doesn't matter what he does or what he says, they're going to keep going until he is no longer the him that he starts yeah. And that is one as. thing I wish that JMS had found a way to not... <sighs> Not a full-on lampshade, but maybe just a little bit, uh, because I think there's only the one mention of somebody scanning him. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if that, if, and if, as you said, that's the underlying reason that they really, really need to actually break Sheridan, um, it feels like maybe one more mention might have might have cemented it in everybody's minds, because I'm pretty certain that flew over my head the first time around. And possibly the second time. But this um, gets uh, full on. Th- I mean, this is full on Orwellian. This is the last part of 1984. This is, um, they are trying to get Sheridan to where Winston Smith winds up. Spoilers for high school literature. Um, <laughs> that, uh, that they, in the end, they want Sheridan to love Big Brother. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. everything that everything that happens to him in this cell throughout um, is, is all about that. And then again, again comparing to uh, comparing to Chain of Command of Star Trek: The Next Generation, you know, we have no reason to expect that the Federation and the Cardassians are going to cut a deal, and uh, some cardassian officer is going to burst in at the last minute and um, pull picard out of the room you know that's not Mm -hmm. what we're expecting here no in fact it ends Mm -hmm. in a really really bleak look at where totalitarianism can take you Mm -hmm. in fact i mean the 
the we do get one sort of tiny little glimpse of of hope but it's not exactly real hope because uh, you know in addition to the actors that i've already mentioned he sees delenn a couple mm-hmm. of times and that's uh, you know it's in his mind so it's it's not like it's not like the set has changed and the scene has gone to where delenn actually is we are clearly just seeing him you know envisioning the face uh of the person that he loves but that's you know that I thought that was a nice touch to sort of show a little bit of his his inner life and what's going on and and sort of what he is hanging on to internally in order to sort of keep him going. Yeah. I mean, there's no telling how much longer he's going to be able to hang on to that and do that. But it, it was nice that we got, I think, at least a tiny bit of, of and what especially he was you know, and and especially the fact that she, you know they don't have Delenn say anything. She's just mm-hmm. there. There's no impassioned speech there's no pleading for him to hold on there's nothing like that that would tip it into melodrama it's all it takes is her presence and uh and I, I did have to take a peek at the lurker's guide um this time i don't i don't usually do that steven steven never ever ever looks at the lurker's guide because he's right. deathly afraid of spoilers but after this episode he was just so surprised and shocked and overcome that he was like you have to read me you know at least a little bit of of any of the information surrounding surrounding that so I went through and and, you know read him some of the stuff and he was he was fascinated by a good amount of it Um, but one thing that that sort of made us chuckle was there's actual title significance for this Mm -hmm. episode which made me laugh because he was I think the most irate I've ever seen him once it finished because he just turned and he looked at me and he said intersections in real time come on this is the farthest one yet and i was just like i don't know don't be mad at me i didn't do it um but but then when we got to the lurker's guide uh discovered that this was very you know named very much on purpose because the scenes all take place in real time and that was part of what what steven was really impressed by was that each of the scenes was filmed in one like one go one take Mm -hmm. it wasn't necessarily one one shot um although i think a lot of them were and because they all played out in real time that goes into the title and then each time you have like a scene break to go to commercial that is an intersection so intersections in real time steven very much scoffed at that he was like i guess (laughs) but i appreciate it and now i'm wondering like has there been ex- explanations of title significance in the Lurker's Guide for other episodes that I've just missed out on? There are a few once here in a while, there, but you okay. know, it, it's always you know, it's always something thematic. It's JMS sort of being thematic or something like that. This is one of the few where he's actually sort of being fairly darn literal about it. Hmm. Well, does anybody else have anything more to cover before we we head into spoiler space? It's it's weird only having one one thing right. to talk about but that is that is the nature of this episode um i noticed directorial stuff <laughs> i mean i don't usually do that but the the establishing opening cold open um the you know from the camera angles low on the floor mm-hmm. uh, of course the lighting and the slightly distorted uh camera works kind of you know mm-hmm. showing you know sheridan being out of it or like coming you know, coming awake or whatever, just, you know, right away set the tone for the disassociation from reality uh, for the whole episode. So I was mm-hmm. kind of just like, okay, I know why they did that. Hey, I know why they did that. <laughs> so, 
it's it's interesting what you can notice like when they really strip it down to its bare bones i mean mm-hmm. this is this is all about the language as you said earlier chip like it's very conversational and the performances and i think you mm-hmm. know while bruce boxleitner may not be patrick stewart he is still quite good and uh the fellow who played william i thought was was great i thought he he, he was exactly what he needed to be he was story. He was, oh, yeah. and he had to carry so much of the episode because Sheridan has very little to say mm-hmm. in this mm-hmm. episode. He is, he is, he's reacting. Pers- or he is reacting. Enduring. He is enduring. Um, his performance has a lot of nonverbals going on, and the reason for that, as JMS says, is that the more sheridan says the more the audience sort of gets behind him and it becomes it it becomes patrick stewart versus david warner you know the joust and the joust is not the point about this episode um Mm -mm. yeah yeah he's and i feel like it's very true to this character too he is a soldier so he, I mean, whether he's had any kind of torture training or not, he, that, that's got to be a thing that he has considered in his career. Um, so he's, so he knows he's just going to sit there and for the most part endure and just be quiet. I feel like, I feel like it makes sense for a character like Captain Picard to, to do the joust thing. It would not make sense for this soldier to do that sort of thing so his his performance is like you said very nonverbal and lots of lots of face acting (laughs) which which i think he did a great job of lots of face acting Mm -hmm. uh i think my i think my only my parting shot before we go into spoiler space is that this is something that happens in real life all over the planet whether it's in isolated jail cells here and there across the United States or in full-on autocratic repressive regimes, this is real. The stuff that happens to Sheridan in this episode is real. And if you want to try to help put a stop to it, there are organizations like Amnesty International that deserve your support. Here, here, Indeed. Here, here. Well, I do want to do a brief Stephen check-in before we uh, before we jump away. Um, like I said at the at the outset, he was just very surprised. It ended, and he just said, "What an interesting episode! That was bold. Well done, Babylon Five. Um, he just he quite liked it. He he thought that there was a little bit of a similarity in the way that that it ended with a with a new interrogator was may have uh, been inspired to some extent by JMS's love for the prisoner um, mm. because at the beginning of pretty much every episode of the prisoner there's a new number two in the village and this is this is sort of like the first time that happens where he sees the whole thing starting over with somebody new um, Stephen was very very impressed by John Lafia as a director he said he was excellent he said that at the beginning his Vehar was almost pinging in the cold open or Vedar mm. Uh, but uh, but he, then he was like, no, 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 of course, he, he wouldn't have done uh, two in a row 
so he he didn't actually think that um and and yeah like he just came back around then to just saying how surprised he was he was just like wow he said that he he mentioned star trek as well he said that even star trek had its interrogation but it was part two of a two-parter it was interspersed with other things he said this thing just happened in in one room it was you know and he Stephen honestly did not know where it was going to end and he thought it was super effective for it to just sort of start over like that and and he's been he he felt like season three of Babylon 5 really felt mature but these last few episodes um have been just like another level he said you know maybe because they're sort of dealing with more you know political conspiracy type things which are like the 1970s films that he really really loves and i can't stand but because (laughs) it's babylon 5 i also enjoy it yeah (laughs) we talked in spoiler space a few episodes ago we were speculating uh, we were talking about the pacing of the season um and the effort to because they didn't know if they were going to get a fifth season And we talked about whether or not there were any episodes of season four that were inconsequential, that could be taken out, that could have left some some room for some of the earlier episodes this season to breathe. And we joked in spoiler space about this being one of those (laughs) that you could take out, theoretically. But no, it's too important Mm -mm. a story. It's too good a story. It is. It may not be plot, but character. We need to. We need to see mm-hmm. this character and world building. Um, yep. go- going back to the last, you know, we've had so much, and I, I hesitate to remind everybody, but this is this is the eighteenth episode of a twenty-two episode season. Mm-hmm. They yep. took some time for this uh, at the end. Sure did. Yep. And speaking of the end, I think we have come to the end of our pre-spoiler area. Um, Your homework for next time will be episode 19 of this season, which is Between the Darkness and the Light. So listeners, please don't torture us with loneliness. Come visit us on social media at B5 Audio Guide on Twitter and Tumblr and on our website at B5AudioGuide.com in our spoilery and spoiler-free threads. If you do want to avoid spoilers, I am afraid we are going to have to send you to room 17 because we are about to go through a jump gate right on into spoiler space. Was the room 17 thing too dark? That was pretty dark. (laughs) That was pretty dark. Goodness. (laughs) I couldn't resist. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, but we have we have brighter days to look forward to because we don't have another episode that's exactly the same thing as the last one. Now that would have been bold to just simply do the exact same episode with the new interrogator. Oh no. Oh wow. god. Can you imagine? <laughs> I suppose with modern uh digital actor replacement stuff, we could do that. <laughs> and then we could do a third one with Peter Cushing. <laughs> well, yeah, because he's already he's already built. That's perfect. He, he's already built. He's already built. Um, before I forget, uh, the question about when he's been uh, interrogated before mm-hmm. in the beginning, right? Sheridan is beaten up by uh, Minbari before Delin ah. ends it. Uh, he doesn't recognize her. She doesn't recognize him. Why should? Why would they? They don't mm-hmm. get a good look at each other. But he's. It, the the thing that stops him getting beaten up is him shouting at Delin, "I know what's in Ducat's secret place," but mm-hmm. but that would be that would have been a reportable right. 
uh, interrogation slash beating slash torture. Gotcha. Okay. Good now, point. whether JMS had actually like thought through and written the, I don't think he'd written that script at this point. He didn't even know right. he was going to get a new season. But we can we can retcon that. Mm-hmm. Sure. <laughs> I like it. Yep. But yeah, he is going to get away, um, which is a good thing. It yep, is going to be like, a last minute next episode. Escape. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Garibaldi's gonna Garibaldi's gonna fix it. Yeah. Oh, everybody, <laughs> say to. say goodbye to the clean-shaven Sheridan. Yeah. Oh, right. We will never see that smooth chin again. Less I. I well, except it. for, like, you know, backplot in the beginning stuff. Well, yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> True. Yeah, but that's a, that's a, that's a, that's a change that's uh, coming. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I almost laughed out loud. Well, not really, but when when William says, you know, there are no no last minute escapes, I was just like, oh, yeah, there are. Not, not quite. Yeah, just not yet. Not yet. Yeah. Not yet. Um, so next, and that was that brought me to another thing, uh, Shannon. I think uh, one of the reasons that you were talking about the sense of Clark wanting something done quickly, I mm-hmm. think you're remembering the next episode. Okay. Because next time they are next time they will have gotten into let's just drug him territory. Right. Um and you you do have you do have scenes of that uh so before before Sheridan gets rescued. So mm-hmm. uh, because Ivanova is bringing the fleet down their throats and and yeah. yeah. So yeah, I think that I I had this I didn't have that sense from watching this episode itself. I, you know, I figured that there were days in between the intersections took days mm-hmm. before we got back to real time. Mm-hmm. Waggle, well waggle, waggle. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, that you are right that uh, Clark, who seems true to Edgar's word, uh, more and more desperate as things are going on, is going to care less and less about Sheridan appearing authentic. Mm-hmm. Yep. He just needs his. He just needs his patsy. Well, what else? Uh, looking forward, there's. I mean, <laughs> because yeah. this is such a self-contained episode, there's there's not a ton that directly reflects. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that this continues to sort of do what Clark's firing on civilian ship civilian ships stuff does in terms of making Clark look increasingly bad, increasingly awful, so that when we finally get to the assault on Earth and uh, finally taking it to him and, uh, you know, it sort of helps justify that Sheridan is going to it, successfully wage his military coup to uh, save Earth from Clark, you know. Clark and his regime have to be this bad mm-hmm. to make what Sheridan does palatable. Right. So I think that, the, so I think that this episode yeah, is so, really yeah, important Yeah, using to the that. telepaths yeah. on the ships and things like that, yeah. And uh, if you'll recall what happens next time when Sheridan is rescued and Sheridan encounters a... One of one of his guards on the deck, uh, when he when he's pulled out of there, Sheridan just guns down the guard, mm-hmm. where he's lying down there, and that is kind of shocking. But 
he's just he's just come out of days and days of being tortured. Right. It's this episode sets up that shock moment. And but then we just move on because why wouldn't Sheridan have done this? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I shut up now. Dark stuff, man. It's just yeah. dark stuff. Shannon, anything you wanted to mention? Um, one thing that kept ringing through my head, and I I don't remember when the saying was said. I'm fairly certain it probably would have been okay pre-spoiler. But every time that uh, William was saying that the truth is fluid and the truth is subjective and all that sort of thing, I just kept going back to... Um, the Vorlons, the truth is a three-edged sword. There's your version, <laughs> my version, and then there's actually what happened. That just constantly kept ringing through my head when he mm-hmm. kept talking about truth. Yeah. Oh, mm-hmm. oh, um, and uh, the deconstruction of falling stars coming up. Uh, when, um, when Orwell gets revisited 500 years in the future. Um, right. And uh, the guy is setting up the holographic uh, versions of our heroes right. and talking about mm. real think and good think and all this other stuff. Still a lot of stuff to to look forward to. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. Any last uh, any last things before we take off and rescue ourselves here? Uh, just makes me want to punch the ISN reporter even more. Uh, good answer good answer yep yeah Yeah. all right well for those of you who have stuck with us through spoiler space thank you for joining and staying with us do come back next time when shannon leads us between the darkness and the light until then this is erica and edmonton shannon and durham and chip and durham and you've been listening to the audio guide to babylon 5